So in constitutional law, we're discuss we're continuing our discussion about constitutional interpretation. And in this episode, we're going to talk specifically about two of the ways that the courts have interpreted the Constitution that means that they interpret it more broadly than, say, the originalistic approach. These two ways are structure and natural law or natural rights. Uh, those two terms are kind of used interchangeably, natural law and natural rights. So let's talk about structure. Well, structural interpretation refers to the court's ability to interpret the Constitution as the founders intended the structure of the Constitution to be. So this attempts to preserve principles such as uh, separation of powers, checks and balances, uh, really what's the purpose, what's the function, uh, what is more practical as far as how the Constitution is designed to be enforced. And we see this in McCullough versus Maryland, and this was a an opinion given by Chief Justice Marshall, and Marshall was a Federalist, which means that he wanted an expansion of the federal governmental powers, and this was another example of how the federal governmental powers ended up expanding. So in McCullough, McCullough was the cashier for the second United States Bank, and Maryland had established a tax on the bank, the federal bank. And so the question before the court is, well, can Maryland in that instance tax the bank? And ultimately, there's two questions, because that means that there's uh, the court has to determine first whether or not the bank is constitutional, and second, whether or not Maryland can tax the bank. For this first question of whether or not the bank is constitutional, the court looks at the structure of the Constitution and determines, yes, the bank is constitutional. First, it recognizes that nowhere in the Constitution does it say that a bank is to be established? And that's really the counterargument because the Constitution does allow for a post office. It does allow for the regulation in commerce. However, it doesn't allow for a bank, or at least it doesn't explicitly say it in the enumerated powers of Congress. But in this same section, Article 1, Section 9, it does have this thing called a necessary and proper clause. It says that Congress has the power to enforce all these other powers. For it, it has the power to create laws that are deemed necessary and proper. And here the court says we interpret that phrase broadly, meaning necessary and proper. Congress has the ability to create a bank, so to speak, to help regulate commerce, uh, to help with taxes, and to help just generally the functions of how the government works. And so Marshall here, that's his reasoning, is through the Necessary and Proper Clause. There's a lot of debate on whether or not this was to reach, because really the key word here is necessary. Was it necessary to establish a bank? Or was it convenient to establish a bank? And that's really where the difference of opinion goes here to determine whether or not the Supreme Court went too far in how it interpreted the Constitution and gave Congress additional powers. So that leads to the second question of if this bank is constitutional and Marshall says it is constitutional, well, then can Maryland tax the bank? And the answer to that is no. And this is because of the Supremacy Clause, uh, the federal is higher than state, and because of that, you, state 
powers can't tax federal powers. Because ultimately, if a state is taxing a federal branch, well, they are in essence taxing the rest of the United States. So Maryland would be taxing those who don't have representation in Maryland because the federal government goes over all the collective United States. And so the court says, yes, the bank is constitutional and no, Maryland can't tax the bank. Therefore, the statute that Maryland imposed that put a tax onto this clerk on McCullough is unconstitutional. And that's structuralism. Now we have natural law or natural rights. Natural law or natural rights takes it even further. We've got this case, Calder versus Bull, that really outlines the argument of natural law and nat- or natural rights. What this argument is simply saying is there is an unwritten constitution. And the constitution was written to preserve uh, things that are in the Declaration of, of Independence, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Uh, there are rights there that aren't listed. Uh, in the constitution, we've got a Bill of Rights. One of the rights not listed in the Constitution is the right to privacy. But the Supreme Court has determined that the right to privacy exists. And this would be an example of using natural law. And the reason why they say that is because the founders wanted to preserve rights. And as a result, the Constitution can be interpreted outside of what is currently written on paper. So, Justice Chase... I believe was the first argument. Uh, he, he is arguing for and on behalf of uh, this natural law. And it says uh, his argument is that we have the unwritten constitution that we need to protect. Uh, there's another justice. I can't remember how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. But he says, if that's the case, if the constitution is unwritten, well, then why do we write down a constitution? And if we wrote down a constitution, aren't we just trying to enforce what's actually written down? Because if we're looking at what's not written down, that's allowing judges to just say, we're going to interpret this however we want to interpret it, because the founders would have wanted us to interpret it this way. And so the argument against natural rights is that it's too subjective. Uh, Courts, judges can do what they feel is morally right, regardless of whether or not it is morally right or wrong, and write that into law, when that shouldn't be written into law because the Constitution is already written down. My opinion on these two things, well, I think structuralism is pushing it, but I think natural law goes too far. Uh, I think originalism is a good default, like I said, Um, but ultimately there is a room for these other interpretations of uh, the Constitution, Uh, but going past the unwritten law is a bit too far for me. That is not to say, though, that uh, both of these things are used in effect. You can say that one has been written down, but the other... Uh, and has been followed where we don't follow uh, the written law, but ultimately, in the long run, we have used natural law for a lot of interpretation, and that would be through things like the right to privacy um, and uh, the 
these rights that aren't in the Constitution, but the Supreme Court has implied are in the Constitution. And so there's a lot of controversy that ends up going on to those things as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.